Lord, help us as we reflect upon your word to understand a little more of what your love and your forgiveness means for others and for ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Methodist District Synods meet up and down this country a couple of times every year and uh, usually move around from town to town within their districts. And when the Synod meets, it's the custom for the local superintendent Methodist minister to welcome the Synod. And uh, inevitably, he or she will make some reference to the founder of John uh, Methodism's journal. And they will tell you that uh, John Wesley visited this town in 1756 and he was warmly welcomed. Or John Wesley visited this town in 1749 and he was met by an angry mob and driven out. However, we're not often reminded that John Wesley visited the local prison. And yet he had a passion for prisons. In the early days at Oxford, when he and his brother Charles were there, along with some of their friends, they had a regular discipline of visiting prisoners in the Oxford jail. And later in life, he visited jails and preached to prisoners on hundreds of occasions, according to one of our Methodist historians. He was also concerned about the conditions in prison as well as the spiritual condition of prisoners and uh, he had links with John Howard and uh, helped him to inspire that campaign for the reform in prisons back in the 18th century. Well for many years the Home Office had an arrangement um, when the Home Office was responsible for our prisons the Home Office had an arrangement with the Methodist Church in order that they could have a visiting Methodist minister or a chaplain in every prison up and down this country, alongside the Anglican and Roman Catholic chaplains. One of the largest providers of aftercare for prisoners in the last 70 years has been the Langley House Trust. And uh, that has a series of hostels up and down the country to help with the rehabilitation of those who are discharged from prison. And the Methodist Church had a very significant part in the beginnings of that venture. A fascinating story in its own right. And so concern for prisoners and their redemption and concern for the state of our prisons and what we do there has long been a part of the DNA of the Methodist Church. During the years of my ministry, I've been privileged to serve on three separate occasions as a part-time prison chaplain uh, at a Borstal in Northamptonshire, Young Offender Institution down in Dover, and at High Security Prison at Belmarsh. And after 15 years, I got released. But that was due to retirement, not because of good behaviour. The current prison population for the United Kingdom hovers at around 90,000. And that represents a higher percentage of the population being put in prison than in many other Western European countries. And so why we put people in prison, what we do with them while they're there, what attitude we have towards them, and what their prospects are on release from prison, all these things should be important to us as followers of Jesus. I find it quite interesting to reflect on a day like today, on that story about Zacchaeus from the Gospels. And so I want to, for a few minutes, just go in and out of that story, uh, draw one or two things from it. Zacchaeus was a well-known character in the town where he lived. He was a tax collector, not just any old tax collector. We're told he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. 
school teachers sometimes say that they remember two groups of pupils, those who were particularly gifted and who will go far, and those who were always a nuisance and they wish they'd go far. Um, Zacchaeus was probably fell into the latter character. Um, somebody who was very clever, but put his cleverness and his ability to the wrong kind of use. He got a job with the occupying force of the Romans, and uh, he sold his soul to the occupying forces, collected taxes on their behalf. And like many other tax collectors, he had the opportunity to exact more from people than the government actually required, and so he was able to pocket the difference. So he would have been a, much, a very well-known man, but also a much loathed man. Everyone knew that there was something wrong in his life. But so did he. That's the point I want to make. So did he. And it was this self-awareness that made him curious about Jesus. I'm sure we have, all of us in our minds, the image of a little man running along ahead of the crowd in order to try and get a strategic viewpoint of Jesus. And then he finds this sycamore tree, and in a rather undignified way for a chief tax collector, he shins up the tree so that he gets a good view of Jesus. When we think about some of the <coughs> obnoxious characters who mess up in life and who create mayhem in society, it's all too easy for us to assume that they are actually enjoying life or that they're actually completely unaware of the trouble that they're causing to other people. But that is not always the case. I can tell you that there is a great deal of searching and seeking that goes on amongst prisoners. Some of them, of course, remain quite unrepentant and aggressive, but many of them are only too well aware that they've messed up and they have a desire to be different. <clears throat> this becomes clear in prison. I have to say that the uh, percentage of those attending chapel services in prison is considerably higher than the percentage of the ordinary population attending churches and chapels on Sunday. <clears throat> now, all right, you say, there are ulterior motives for that. Well, of course there are. It's an opportunity to get out of their cell and meet some mate who comes from another part of the prison, another wing. Or it's just an opportunity to get out of the cell if they've been in the cell for 23 hours a day. And even a boring church service is better than being stuck in a cell all day. But all, when all is said and done about those things, the fact is that there is actually a genuine attempt on the part of many prisoners to engage with faith and to build some kind of relationship with God. And I can assure you that prison chaplains do not have to sit in their offices and wait for prisoners to go to them. You only have to go onto a wing and wait to speak to somebody uh, somebody will come up to you, or several people will come up to you, wanting help or a conversation, and often about a question of faith. Prison chaplains sometimes talk about loitering with intent, loitering with intent on the wings to speak to somebody, and you don't really have to go very far, they come to you. So there is a deep desire on the part of many prisoners to find a better way of life. Go back to the story of Zacchaeus for a minute. There was a turning point in that story, of course, and the turning point in the story was when Jesus asked to enjoy the simple hospitality of Zacchaeus's home. We don't know what was said over that cup of tea or that drink of wine, 
but we do know that Zacchaeus became a changed man, not just because of listening to a street preacher, but because of the heart-to-heart conversation in that atmosphere of hospitality. And the chaplaincy rooms in a prison, the chapel, the meeting room, the chaplain's offices, are often known as places of hospitality. During my eight years at the Young Offender Institution in Dover, we had a small team of chaplains representing the Methodist Church, the Church of England, the Roman Catholic Church, the Salvation Army. And every Thursday morning, we would meet together and we would meet with the lads who had arrived at the prison during the previous week. It was part of their induction uh, programme. We would tell them about what we could do for them, the services that we held in the chapel, what groups we ran for Bible study, the ways in which we could help them in practical ways whilst they were in prison. Then we would show them the chapel and uh, after having had a cup of tea and a cup of coffee together, and we'd get into some kind of individual conversations. And it was a simple way that through hospitality, through kindness, through treating them with dignity, (coughs) it was a way of getting through to them. And many doors were opened uh, to other conversations and contacts. Lads would sometimes confess their failures, want to know directly about forgiveness. They would need help because of family problems and receive help gratefully. They'd share their anxieties about their future in terms of employment and accommodation and things like that. Nothing would be beyond discussion, but it all began with simple hospitality and kindness. (coughs) So what has marmalade got to do with all this? If you've read the title of the sermon this morning, what on earth has marmalade got to do with this? Was it really marmalade that made the difference? Well, some of you might have made that connection already. Uh, Some of you will realise the connection lies in the children's story of the Paddington Bear. Paddington Bear was the bear who arrived in London from darkest Peru, was taken in by a kindly family, and he had a great love of marmalade sandwiches. But some months ago, the second full-length feature film was released, Paddington 2. And during that film, Paddington finishes up being put in prison for some misdemeanor that he actually hadn't, um, uh, hadn't done. So there we find him in prison. And to cut a long story short, the atmosphere in the prison is grim, nowhere more so than in the kitchen. The kitchen is run by a man, a prisoner called Knuckles McGinty, a horrible character. And uh, he was feared by uh, all the prisoners. The food is absolutely lousy, but all the prisoners are frightened to tell Knuckles McGinty what they think. Paddington is disgusted by the state of affairs. And he takes courage in both hands and he goes and tackles um, Knuckles McGinty. He just escapes being thrown across the dining room, but then manages to persuade this nasty man that he could teach him how to make really good marmalade. And so piles and piles of oranges are brought in to the prison kitchen. And they set to work with these mountains of oranges and the outcome is wonderful. But the outcome is even more wonderful than just lovely marmalade. The dining room is transformed. The prisoners become happy. The quality of food is improved. And even Knuckles McGinty becomes a transformed character. Now, do you see the point of the question? Was it really the marmalade that made the difference? You know, there are two answers to that question. 
The answer is partly yes. Partly it was the marmalade that made the difference. Because those working in the kitchen felt differently about their work and themselves when they were producing something good for the benefit of everybody. And in prisons where workshops function well and people are proud of their work, people feel different. And in prisons where creative work is encouraged, prisoners can walk tall when they produce their artwork or performances of music and drama. And if you go down to our basement, uh, on the way to the cafe, you will find today and for the next few days uh, a display, an exhibition of some artwork from prisoners in Lewis Prison. And uh, on the table here in the cross shawl, there are some of these leaflets that uh, tell you a little bit about the background of that. So yes, the answer is to that question partly, yes, it was the marmalade that made the difference. But of course, the other part of the answer is no, it wasn't just the marmalade. It needed something beside purposeful activity of a good quality. It needed kindness. And Paddington Bear worked on the assumption that everybody would respond to simple kindness. And that way of treating people, even when they are offenders, is absolutely vital. The statement of the prison service, their purpose, states that Her Majesty's Prison Service serves the public by keeping in custody those committed by the courts. Our duty is to look after them with humanity and help them lead law-abiding lives and useful lives in custody and after release. Your simple humanity and dignity bring rewards, but sadly they are in short supply in some of our prisons. Don't get me wrong, being a prison officer is not an easy job. They deal with some nasty people who can be very aggressive. They need our prayers, but there are some prison officers who need to understand a little better the power of treating people with simple dignity and humanity because it does bring transformation. And the presence of Christian chaplains and volunteers from churches who go in to help the work of chaplaincy, the work of prison fellowship, voluntary prison visitors, all these people, all these organisations contribute to the creating of an atmosphere of hospitality and kindness, basically humanizing or helping to humanize what can so easily become a dehumanized institution. And if you have a heart for people who've gone wrong in life, and if you've got time to spare, if you've got desire to make a difference, then there are certainly spheres of service for you uh, in our prisons, particularly through the chaplaincies. Go back to the story of Zacchaeus once again. There's no doubt that uh, this encounter with Jesus actually made the difference. Something happened in that conversation that went beyond Zacchaeus merely hoping that he would be a better person one day. And that conversation with Jesus gave him the will and the motivation to be different and to demonstrate the difference by repaying the people that he cheated. And Jesus makes that wonderful declaration towards the end of the passage. Uh, Salvation has come to this house today. And in this context, of course, salvation meant a new relationship with God and a restored relationship with other people in the community. Forgiveness had been received. 
Because salvation is freedom, freedom from destructive patterns of behavior. And it's wholeness, bringing purpose and meaning and a new dimension to life. And when Jesus said salvation has come to this house today, uh, he meant not just to Zacchaeus, but for his family. Because in his formal way of life, that would have brought degradation on his family as well as Zacchaeus. And now, the freedom and the joy of living in a new relationship with God and a new relationship with other people would have a spin-off for his family as well. Salvation had been brought to the household. Christian libraries are crowded with books about people whose lives have sunk low through, good be through terrible behavior and then who've been rescued by an encounter with God. And often this has brought release and joy to their families. One of the things we need to remember in this week, of, which is marked as Prisons Week, uh, is to remember some of the families of prisoners because they suffer too. Some of our traditional prayers of confession in church, when we've told God what we've done wrong, when we've asked for his forgiveness, some of those prayers then end with a phrase that goes along the lines, and give us time for amendment of life. Well, Zacchaeus certainly had time for amendment of life and he had opportunity for amendment of life as well. He had a ready opportunity because there were people in his own community that he could repay back fourfold as he said he would. But the opportunity of amendment for life for some of our prisoners when they're discharged is not quite so easy. The difficulty of finding accommodation, a job, and in some cases, even voluntary work can be extremely hard, can be an uphill struggle, not least for ex-sex offenders who become almost universally ostracized. And it is as if we are creating a new breed of lepers that nobody wants to touch and are creating a yet even greater problem. And in our prayers, it's important that we pray for prisoners to have that vital life-changing encounter with God but also to pray that they may have time and opportunity for amendment of life, restitution. And the final quick look at the story of Zacchaeus. It tells us about the reaction of the neighbours. You know, in every community, there are people who peep behind the curtain to see what's going on, aren't there? And there are people who peep behind the curtain in the town where Zacchaeus lived. And they said, look, that Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. And the tongues wagged. And so what of our reactions? In a recent television series about prison, the prison in the Isle of Man, which some of you may have seen, a woman who lived nearby was interviewed one day and said, oh, they're all just like animals. Well, they are not like animals. They are made in the image of God in the same way that you and I are made in the image of God, however flawed we may have become. And so what of our reactions to those who offend against the law and are sent to prison? What of our reactions to them when they come out? Let me tell you a story, and it's a story really against myself. The last few years of my prison chaplaincy was spent at Belmarsh High Security Prison in southeast London. And one of the guys that we had for a relatively short space of time, whilst he was waiting for a more permanent place, was Ian Huntley, the school caretaker from Soham in Cambridgeshire, 
who'd murdered the two schoolgirls, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, uh, and then had to, to make the crime even worse, had stood in front of cameras and pretended to be concerned about them and to pretend that he was helping to look for them when he knew precisely where their bodies were. I spoke to him on several occasions whilst I was doing my uh, rounds in the healthcare unit, and he normally just didn't want to say anything at all. But one day I'd asked him how he was, he was all right, did he want anything to read? No. But then he said, do you have a jigsaw puzzle in the chaplaincy? I knew we did sometimes, I said I will look. And when I'd finished doing the rounds in the healthcare unit, went back to the chaplaincy, <coughs> I looked and sure enough there was just one jigsaw puzzle left there. There wasn't time to do anything else that morning, but it wasn't quite time to go home. I thought, rather than leave it here in the office for a colleague to take tomorrow, I'll go and give this to him now. And so I walked back along the corridor to the health unit. Uh, I gave the jigsaw puzzle to Ian Huntley and uh, without any emo trace of emotion at all, because there was never any trace of emotion about him, he said, thank you. And then he added the words, you're a star. And I have to say that a shiver went down my spine when he said, you're a star. Because I really did not want to be called a star by the man who was probably the most hated man in England at the time. I share that story because it probably tells you more about me than it does about Ian Huntley. It exposes my prejudices. It brings to the surface the, the judgment judgmental feelings that so easily lurk subconsciously when I think about crime and about criminals. Even as a prison chaplain who's found a, a ministry there very satisfying. But who am I to judge? You see, many people commit crimes. Crime is when you gumble on beyond a certain line, a line that is drawn by the state. The line that says beyond that line, what you do is a crime. And if you get too far beyond the line, then it's a serious crime and you go to prison. But long before you get to that line, we have all done many things and said many things and thought many things that are wrong and that are very harmful and damaging to other people. <clears throat> As Paul said in his letter to the Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so who am I to be appalled by what somebody else has done? Prisoners need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. And thank God, his grace, his forgiveness, his opportunities of a new start for all who are penitent are available to all. And they are not dependent on our deserving. And for that, we can all say a hearty and a heartfelt thanks be to God. Amen.